Hey, what's up? This is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. This week, we've got a great guest, Ben Calhoun, frontman of the band Citizen Way. Just came out with their second record, entitled 2.0, and he shares a powerful personal story that inspired most of this record and inspired the first single, talking about the death of his son. I think a lot of you guys will get something out of this, and I really appreciate his vulnerability in just speaking from the heart. But before we begin, for those of you songwriters out there wanting to better your craft, we have 10 easy, digestible, actionable tips that we'd love to send you. Just head over to fullcirclemusic.org slash songs. Again, that's fullcirclemusic.org slash songs. And we'll send you 10 free tips for how to be a better songwriter straight to your email. Speaking of email, we love hearing from you guys. And if there's anything you want to know or you want to learn, we'd love to cover it on this show. So just send us an email to info at fullcirclemusic.org. Maybe there's a guest speaker that you want to hear from. Maybe there's a question that you want answered. We'd love to do exactly that. We'd love to answer your questions and we'd love to cover those topics. So just send us an email at info at fullcirclemusic.org. We've got a great interview today. So let's just jump right into it. I'm always trying to be quiet and listen. I think that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth. (laughs) Well, right now is your chance to do the exact opposite of that. I have you on the Full Circle Music (laughs) Show. This is Ben Calhoun here to talk, not just to listen. I'm I'm more here to listen, so you get the chance to talk. (laughs) But thanks for uh, being here tonight. You came out on a a, uh, Monday night, brought his daughter out here to the studio, Ava. Little Ava. Little Ava, awesome. You say hi, loud, real loud. <laughs> That's Ava, if you can hear. And um, got his guitar player out on the road with him. My student. As well, too. So yes. talk about um, you know where you guys are at. You guys just released a new record, well, just last week, right? Yeah, last Friday. It's yep. called 2.0. 2.0. Are you passionate about it? What are some of your favorite songs on it? What was the process like making it? Man, the end of our first record, uh, Love is the Evidence, I remember as soon as we wrapped and did the master on that one, I was already thinking of the next one. Uh, it was four years in the making since our last record came out um, that you did. And that record was awesome. I still, you know, I think about it a lot in the sense of like, what a great foundation to build on. And it gave a lot of room to breathe and to invent. And so 2.0 being the title of the record comes from actually a lyric in the song Set It On Fire I wrote with uh, great songwriters Jeff Pardo and Bart Miller of Mercy Me and this is the 2.0 this is the heart reset this is the 2.0 this is the wave goodbye or is it hello this is the new me redeemed set free your love has sparked my heart and set it on fire and that reference comes out of 1 Corinthians 5.17 that says behold I'm a new creation in Christ the old is gone and the new has come and it's very representative of the music as well a lot of changes in my life, you know, to to speak about for this record, specifically with the content of the songs, but also the overarching view of the record, the newness. Um, my wife and I were really just, uh, we were looking for something new. We'd been in, in uh, I'm a professor at Judson University in Chicago, where our guitar player Daniel's from, on his junior year internship right now on the road. And I remember thinking, Lord, if you want to move me, then just make it very obvious. And I remember that my heart change was slow, but it was very steady. And I wanted to be obedient to the Lord. And I said, if you want 
you got to make it obvious for me. So this year, 2015, became the hardest year of our life. It was a lot of out with the old, in with the new. And um, aptly named for the title of the record because that's what my life story was personally, you know, and, and the guys in the, in the band too. Uh, my wife and I, we'd lost a baby back in June, which is a lot of where the story of our new single, When I'm With You, came out. That's what that's about. We wrote with you, my brother. And I think that set my life and heart on a trajectory that was really just open to whatever the Lord would want. And I was so wasted, tired, trying to figure it out on my own. I'd hit every wall I could possibly. There's no more money I could make with the hours in the day that I had. There's nothing more I could do. I have two full-time jobs. I'm on the road all the time. My wife and kids are back at home, you know, waiting for me to come home, sometimes after weeks at a time of being on the road. I'm just wasted, tired. We have a new record to do, and I have a deadline, and my heart is just so wrenched and torn up right now. I don't know if I can get the stuff out. And yet I think, I think, for for me in particular, uh, but I think for a lot of songwriters they would agree, that's when the really great songs come. I think that's when you just... You pour your heart out, you get people around you, the right people, and you say, okay, this is how I feel. How do we communicate this in a way that in our industry encourages people, especially with the lyric, you know? And I try to use God's word as the absolute first thing that people hear. And so this song in particular, When I'm With You, came from Psalm 3418 that said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I had, I just had to hear that verse because... I remember holding our son, you know, 10 perfect toes and 10 perfect fingers. We had a miscarriage. And yet when we buried him, the Lord very clearly to me, I put the shovel away in the the shed and the Holy Spirit said, it's okay. You can let go. I have him. And that was for me new. That was okay. I can move on. And that was the 2.0, you know, after death, you have life again. And, And then, you know, just weeks after that, I felt really like it was time to move. And so I moved our whole family down here to Franklin, Tennessee, because I'm here all the time anyway. And I took a risk and I knew this might come, but I tried to avoid it. I mean, I love what I do at Judson. I bleed Judson blue. My students, you know, working with them and importing uh, or imparting to them everything I know about the business and ministry and walking with Jesus. And it was all there. And on campus, you know, we've lived there for all of our marriage, 12 years. And my dad had just moved to town, taken a job as a professor at Judson and a new job as a, a pastor at another church down the road. We dreamed about for years working back in the same town together, you know, starting a Bible study with these students. And we got to start it. And then weeks later, I said, Dad, I'm moving. You know, and the, the morning we left, he's just bawling his eyes out, you know. I'm his firstborn son. He cried when I left for college. You know, he cried again when, he, when I left from Judson. You know, when I came to school as a 17-year-old freshman in college, I'd never left. And so... 18 years of my life was spent in this one place that I'd built this little empire. I felt like it was the Lord saying, Noah, build the ark. And I built the studios at Judson, built the music business and entrepreneurs program. Um, I taught Daniel how to play guitar when he was 12. It just grew and, and all these kids started coming and all of a sudden I just leave it. And I felt like in my heart, I just, I, I had to die. And it, it's still painful. And yet coming down here, First night, I met our would-be new manager, Bart Millard. I just saw him at the store, and he's like, hey, come on over. And, you know, that started a new relationship, and new songs came, and at the 11th hour, the record finished, and then we turned in the masters, and all of a sudden, we did two more songs, and 
And all of a sudden, this death of all these things, this moving my family down here, the loss of our son, even a band member leaving, became new again. And it felt like there was green growth again. It felt like there was something to sing about. And it was always the same. It's I always feel that Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And and I was just listening. And, and all I could hear the Holy Spirit say is just lift up my son. So every song I would try to do that and let God's word be the thing that was the most, you know, advantageous business plan, I guess. And and so if you look in our record, you'll see all the verses that are the ones that inspired the songs. And 2.0 for us is a representation of that, what God has done. That's phenomenal. Did you guys name your son? We did, actually. And that's a tricky one for some people because most people don't actually see or hold the baby, you know, depending on how far you're longer. But we, we did. We decided to do natural birth. I mean, this is actually, this was probably a real turning point in my life. I was supposed to come down for a couple of weeks to write in the summer in June. And uh, we'd just been to the Kayla Fan Awards. Allison said, something's wrong. And we didn't have insurance. We couldn't afford it. And we got home to Chicago and a friend said, hey, you know that I'm a ultrasound technician? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, what? And so he snuck us into the hospital after hours for free because it's expensive. We didn't have any insurance. And I just remember the third time of him, you know, on Allison's belly going, hmm. You know, he couldn't find the baby when we knew we lost it. And it's amazing how I thought the first thing I thought of was I'm glad I got to play soccer with my youngest girl, Savannah, that day. I was just thankful for what I did have. I just lost a son. And when those two weeks of waiting, because we decided to pass the baby naturally, Allison and I got into the worst fight we've ever been in. I thought I was supposed to go be a good provider for my family and go down and write these songs for our next record that's under the deadline. And she's like, but we're supposed to have the baby now, you know? And so we just fought and I I just, I was being so selfish. I remember hearing the Holy Spirit say, just do whatever she says. (laughs) And so I stayed home. We shipped the girls off to grandma and grandpa's and I just waited. Her, my wife and I in the house alone waiting for the baby to come. And it took two weeks and I had to die to myself. I had to die to all of my ambitions of like just time management and just wait which is so hard for me to do. So you're literally there kind of, you didn't know that it was going to take two weeks. You were kind of just there waiting for it to happen any day. Any day. And yes, when the baby came, a couple things were amazing. You know, first Ava said to me, daddy, you know how the doctor couldn't find a heartbeat? That's because Jeremiah uh, already gave it to Jesus. And I thought, what wisdom from the mouths of babes, you know? And wow. the first time I'd really cried about it is when I said, girls, you know, we didn't get to sing for the baby. Yeah, I would usually, when the girls were born, Ava's eight and Savannah's five, I would sing to them when they were in the womb and they knew my voice when they came out. It was incredible. And yet I don't, I was so busy this time around that I didn't do that as much and I felt so guilty. And so I said, girls, let's sing Jesus Loves Me around. This is just before the baby came. And Jesus Loves Me, we put our hands on, the, on mommy's belly and I, I got into Jesus Loves Me and I just lost it. And Savannah, our little five-year-old, is the only one who could finish it by herself, her sweet little voice. And when the baby came, yes, I even showed our doula. I said, is this a boy? And she's like, I think so. And even then, Jay Weaver from Big Daddy Weave, the band, um, he all spring long was like, it's going to be a boy. He even got us like, you know, football jerseys and stuff like that for the baby. And 
And there was some other confirmations of just a little boy. And actually, I think Ava named him. She's like, what about Jeremiah? And, you know, I even have the pictures to prove it. But when he came out, he was he was smiling. <laughs> I showed wow. Michael Tate the other day and he starts crying. He's like, oh, my goodness, it's true. There's, he's smiling. Look at him, you know. And That's unreal. I just think of how my son, when we lifted him up to heaven, um, and, and yes, I, I, he is my son. Whether it was or not, it, it might have been a little early to tell, but that's what we decided to do. And you just have to make a decision in your heart, I think, and go with it. Because if you don't put some sort of identity, I think it's even harder. At least it was for us. And when we lifted him up to heaven, uh, it's fun because my dad would say, this baby went from life to life. I'm like, mm. never went through death, you know? And wow. and so for me, I'm I'm a little closer to my Savior because my son is in his presence now. Wow. I think it's pretty cool. That's amazing. Well, I, I remember it's 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 so weird how you kind of experience these things vicariously, but I remember even where I was when I got the text from you. I think I was in the back of a tour bus on a riding trip on the road, and I guess my daughter probably would have been seven months old or something, mm. so she was just kind of fresh on our mind. And I think, you know, you hear about friends having miscarriages, but it never really hit me until I kind of had my own. And that, I, yeah, I remember just crying, and I, I think I might have sent you a message afterwards. And yeah, um, it was really sweet. Yeah, and I just, what I'll say, not to detour back to music because this is definitely way more an important conversation than making records and uh, writing songs. But I, I, what I will say is, from the time I got that text, because we had written a couple songs probably I don't know was a year prior to that yep and the time from before that whole experience happened to after when you came into the studio it felt like you really had something that you wanted to say something mm. that you wanted to write about do you think do you Man, think that's a good observation absolutely you know I think, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever received was from um, my favorite band ever, PFR. And their lead singer, guitar player, Joel Hansen, is a great friend. And he said, Ben, just write what you know. And at that point, that's what I knew. Yeah. I had just been through the worst position in my life, yeah. you know, worst position as a father and as, even as a husband. I mean, I almost lost my marriage. And Allison almost died. She lost so much blood that I almost lost her as well. And so wow. being that close to you know depravity and despair and yet not being there is really great for coming to grips with what life is really about and mm -hmm. that tends to be it make it very clear for what to write about and so I th that's why i love the lyrics of that of our song when i'm with you these are the things i need to pray because i can't find peace any other way i'm a mess underneath and i'm just too scared to show it everything's not fine and I'm not okay, but it's nice to know I can come this way. I remember when you said that line, it's like, because that was your line. That I was like, oh, that's, it's, it's brilliantly simple and honest, mm. and nobody's going to argue with it. Mm. Because we just get to come how we are. You know, that's, that's the Bible, come as you yeah. are. And, you know, when I'm with you, Jesus, I feel the real me finally breaking through. And I had to cling to his words. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Um, I will be with you in your time of trouble. Psalm 
46.10, be still know that I am God. Psalm 34.18, uh, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. You know, those were verses I was literally living by because I just moved, I just lost a son, my dad is having a hard time even talking to me, and yet this is how I felt. And it just kind of comes out of you. And I would mm-hmm. encourage you young songwriters, you know, like just write what you know. Yeah. Don't try to fix the world. Just write your story. Yeah. Nobody can argue with it. It's yeah. your story. Yeah. It's your story. And it's more intriguing and everybody will be pausing to listen. And just try to do it in an honest way and, um, you know, get people around you that can really help shape it. Because when you're in that state, it's very emotional and sometimes it's good to have people steering the ship a little bit. So sure. you can be all honest and just bring a bunch of clay to be formed. Yeah. Man, talk about, because the last record has been out a few years, and you kind of jumped right back into writing not too long after the record came out. How many songs, if you can even put a number on it, went into making this record? How many did you have to write to come down to the final 11? I would say about 50 that were actually legitimately written for this record. But but others were written in that time yeah. too. Yeah, or ideas, you know, like yeah. I have tons of little garage band demos, you know, on my phone that I'll make. That's so if, a great if you, writing if tool. If you count all those up, what do you think? Oh, H- probably hundred. Yeah, easy. Wow. You know, even like half of a song, a verse yeah. and a chorus. You know, yeah, great starters, little fire starters. Easy. And those and a lot of those. We'll pr- if if I know you well enough, we'll probably come back around in the future. I don't know. I hope record. so. Yeah, because that was one thing not to segue out of this awesome story, but one thing I was really impressed with working with you, Ben, on the first time around, he would bring in these uh, just phenomenal demos, and there was like, man, what what are we supposed to do with this? I mean, <laughs> and he was like, oh, by the way, I did this under the covers on my iPhone <laughs> last it's night. True. It's true. <laughs> Keeping his wife awake and on headphones. It's so true. I still to this day have no idea how you pulled those things off. And to me, when I heard those, I was like, there is no excuse. Anyone can do music. Oh, if you have an great. iPhone yes. and GarageBand, anyone can do yes. it. Yes, absolutely. Or even just your voice memos on your phone. Just record a rough scratch of even just a vocal. Yeah. I mean, that's the key. It's melody and lyrics. Yeah, yeah. And yeah i just when you find the inspiration i you know i always challenge young writers just get up get get out of bed it's three in the morning go to a quiet place in the house record your idea and then go back to sleep otherwise it'll haunt you all day the next day that you forgot it yeah just get it done yeah and you'll always have it it's a little voice memo and but i mean these things were a little more developed even than that i mean you had brought in string tracks and drum loops and bass lines and programmed guitar lines it's like I mean that that's pretty amazing. Are you still using that as part of your writing process as far as just your iPhone and GarageBand? In fact, I was just showing yes, in fact I have one open right now that I did. That's awesome. Yeah, like, you know, it's just simple things like okay, I have an idea, it's best for me to hear it fleshed out. And since I'm a trained musician, I can do all that stuff. Right. I'm not, you know, like my strength is to get a big picture viewpoint down. Yeah. Here's the tempo. Here's the key. Here's the lyric-ish. Yeah. 
and here's the, the skeleton and some meat on the bones around it. Yeah. Take it then to somebody like you and say, okay, now let's finish it sure. and, and hit a grand slam. I love that because you tend to capitalize on the strengths of the people in the room, which I think is so important. Yeah. You know, I remember when we wrote with Michael Farron, he's a worship leader. Yeah. It's like, Michael, what should we write? I'm like, you're a worship leader. Let's write a worship song. Yeah. Let's stay in your vicinity. And we wrote a tune that I still to this day just adore. Um, yeah. And I think that's what I, you know, you just, and I remember all I had was this little demo on my iPhone, you know, one of the many. And I will purposely go through, if I know I'm writing with a certain person, I will, I will go through and mark the ideas and put their name by them because I feel like this would be good for that person. Yeah. And so I'm not just fishing through 150 samples. It's, you know, five or six that are meant for that person based yeah. off of the stuff they've done before or just the feeling you get, you know, when you're with them. Yeah. You know, um, I did that with Bulletproof on our next record, uh, yeah. on this record, the last one, it, which almost didn't make the record. Wow. I, I remember having this title saved for Chris Stevens and Brian Fowler, my brother and I wrote it. I think five or six weeks I, I had it in my phone with a little idea and a lyric. I said, I want to write Billie Jean beat, you know, Billie Jean, that beat, not yeah. my love. Yeah. And the Ephesians 6, the armor of God, and it's called Bulletproof. And I had a little idea for a melody in the chorus. Chris had a terrible day that day. He was having a rough day. And by the end of the day, when we finished it, he was just on cloud nine. Wow. You know, you just capitalize. I knew Chris's funky version stuff would be perfect for that. And that song didn't make the record at first. It got axed. And then we did a whole completely new version of it with another producer. And it, and uh, I love it, but it just, the original was best. Yeah. And I think a lot of times the original inspiration is the thing you, you should go with. I think you're really good at that. You'd stick with the thing that was that made the hair in your arm stand up the first time. Mm. You start thinking about it too much, and you really start taking away at the, you start cutting into the bone. And I think that's a mistake. I think that's been an advantage to me in a career because I have very hairy arms. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good indicator. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you're saying, though. I mean, I I remember you you showed me that, and the first thing I was like, yeah, there's something there. Yeah. You know, yeah. just don't, you know, and, and it's, it's all part of the process. You've got to, you've got to try as much as you humanly can to figure out sometimes that the first thing was, was the right thing. Yeah. Sometimes you just take it full circle just to be able to say confidently we were right. Yeah. And it's, you know what the process of that is absolutely monumentally important. And if you're okay with not knowing, but still per pursuing, it's going to be fine. Yeah. And you have to treat songs like, yes, there are babies and children to you, but you also have to recognize that not all of them, you know, need to see the light of the day. So you talk a little bit about that, because I, I think a lot of people, that, that might have just went over some people's heads, the fact that that song, I mean, that was one out of 11 on a record. Who knows how many of the other ones went through the same process. But you went and started it with one producer, did an entirely new version from scratch yep. with another producer, yep. only to go back to the first one. Yep. I mean, that's a lot of time. But you're not saying that that was a waste. At not all. at all. In fact, I actually tried to get the label to put both versions on the record. Wow. Just because, why not? Yeah. You know? Uh, and, I mean, I pushed for it, and there might be some day where you can hear the other one, but it's completely different. Yeah. And I think it's, it's cool and valuable. I think it's fun to be creative, and if it's a good song, have a few versions of it. I mean, why not have an artist do that, you know? And, you know, when I'm with you is another perfect example. I think that was ten or eleven versions of right, that song. Right. Yeah. I think, 
And every single one I got excited about a little bit more because yeah. we chipped away at the dam and finally it just burst and the floodgates open, you know? Yeah. And I think if you learn to love that process and own it and be okay with best idea wins, yeah. if you adopt that mentality, people will, sur- you know, you'll be surrounded by great people as well and your your game just gets, you raise the level, you raise the standard all the time. And instead of, it's got to be my original idea. It's got to be my thing. It's got to be the first. I think you got to lose that early on. If yeah. you want to make it in this business, at least that's what I've found. Yeah. It's it's about people first and capitalizing on the strengths in the room and adopting best idea wins. And sometimes that takes 11 versions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about, so, so you guys had that whole thing happen with Jeremiah and then how soon after that did you guys decide you were going to make the move to, to Nashville we moved we lost Jeremiah in um, June we moved in September so just a few months and that was a painful process but it was good you know what it, prompted the move I was gone from my family so much you know you spend a day going to Nashville to catch the bus for tour you get home from tour, you spend a whole day driving back to Chicago. You get a day off, you do it all over again. You know, bus is pulling Monday morning, use the bus calls Wednesday night. So you spend two days in the car, whereas if I lived in Nashville, it's two days at home. Right. Every run of a tour. Uh, multiply that by however many tours a year. And I knew that there's a couple of things, like you have to plan for your success. You have to plan your profit. And so for me personally, songwriting and being an artist in the community and we've talked about that in the years you know like it's you got to be present to win in that regard and so if if i was i could have phoned it in from chicago but i think it would have cost me my family it would have cost my my being a good dad and it was it was costing my students too because i was gone from them i was just on the road more so it came down to a sheer numbers game if i'm here i can be present to win i can actually make more opportunities for my students which ended up happening right away, you know, having Daniel on tour with us as his internship and having other students. Um, but my wife, she just, she's been wanting to do this for a long time. She hates the snow. <laughs> <laughs> she grew up in Chicago. She's like, get me out of here. They hate it here too. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, don't get me started. It's so funny how you're from Ohio. You get it. Oh yeah. It's like, it's embarrassing. <laughs> I'm like, seriously, it might snow. Oh, we got to shut down tomorrow because it might school. snow. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I, I don't know if, I don't want, want to just glance over what he just said. You have to plan for your success. I mean, that's that's a nugget of gold that I think I could learn from. I, I think we we could all learn a ton from that. But yeah, talk about what, what does that mean to you? I mean, how have you planned for your success? Because, you know, you guys are obviously having some level of success out on tours with Newsboys, Big Daddy Weave, Jeremy Camp, Mercy Me, all these bands that you know, at one point probably looked up to oh, and now you're touring doing, with them. Yeah. You've had a number one single, two other top 10 singles, record soil all around the world. How did you plan for that success? There's a bit of supernatural. Maybe all of it is supernatural. I think at the end of the day when it's all the Lord's, but if you are very sober in your judgment of yourself and you, as the proverb says, you take many advisors you start to get a very realistic uh, view of who you are and what you can bring to the table. And so therefore, then if you look at this as a business is what, what it is, 
But first and foremost, it is simply acting in the gifts God's given you. If you know that you're in the giftings God has given you because you've spent years trying other things and not wor- it's not working, um, then you realize that um, it's okay to plan for your success, to plan your profit. In fact, it's a biblical model. Uh, if you know that you're operating within your strengths, naturally the byproduct should be success, achievement, um, raising the bar, standards, whatever it is. And in this industry, it, it for me, it was crank out another song that's better than the one you did yesterday and then do it again and then do it again and learn to love the process of what it could be. And, and in that, sometimes you can put your nose to the grindstone and just for a while work at it. And if you concentrate on the, keep the main thing, the main thing and major on the majors instead of the little things like, you know, I got to make sure I get Twitter followers and Instagram. That'll come naturally if you have great songs as your heading. Mm-hmm. Great songs. And great by the standard of everybody agrees with you. Not me and my grandma love this song. Right. It's the producer who and the mix engineer who does this all day long actually made a comment about this. Right, right. You know, and yeah. I think you, you have to plan for that and you work toward it and until you achieve those little things that are behind the scenes of like the record label calls right away when you send the de- demo. When they call right away, that means they're excited about it. You start to learn and take notice of what got them excited in the first place. I think you really need to stay current with what's on radio, but honestly, I think you just, you operate within the strengths God's gifted you in, and you refine that, and you get better than you were yesterday. And that is not only a biblical model, that's just smart business. Yeah. You know, why would you look at your competitors and go, oh, they're doing it better, instead of saying, man, that's awesome. Let's see if we can beat it. Yeah, in a good way and champion them in the same process instead of bringing them down. Yeah, I love that about our industry. We're on the same team. Yeah. yeah, I love that. We have the same goal in mind to lift up the name of Jesus and bring people into the kingdom. Yet, that does not negate the fact that we have some really awesome competition that's going to make everything better. And if we adopt that, for me, I'm like, it's just more fun. You make more friends. You have a great run at it. You lift up the next generation behind you. They're excited to be here young people will be interested that will make better music than we did i just think that's part of it and it's best idea wins and you champion great things and you keep digging for those gold nuggets until you find it otherwise keep digging talk about the judson thing a little bit because that's one thing that i think we have a lot in common is the shared love for mentorship Mm-hmm. And you've done an amazing job with that in your role at Judson. Are you still a professor there, even yeah. living in Nashville? Yep. I spent years working for free, proving to them, by the grace of God who gave me the idea anyway, that a program where we focus on contemporary music and getting kids involved in making their own records and actually putting them out, iTunes, you know, playing Bloom or Your Planted mentality. You know, play the Chicagoland area. Every youth group, every bar mitzvah, birthday, whatever, you name it. You know, Sunday morning, church camp, whatever. Find a way to get in there naturally and make it work and sell your CDs, you know. And um, I built this studio uh, out of the old darkroom there. So we called it Darkroom Studios that was abandoned by the old arts building when they built a new one. And I spent my own inheritance. My my grandmother sold her house, gave me some money. I think I spent $21,000 on year, paint, you know, my dad and I took out the floorboards and put in new ones from the old shelves in the old library at the school that I asked to use. And the old curtains from the old performance hall I used as sound deadening tools. And 
I was just creative with what I could, and I built this program. And it's it's a bit of that mentality: if you build it, they will come, and they did. Mm. And a lot of people thought I was crazy. And I had a few people in my corner at school that I'd been with. Uh, I'd been there for eighteen years, and they said, "Keep going. This will work. Just keep going." And I put my blood, sweat, and tears literally into it. And I had even professors that I work with now that thought I was crazy and got mad at me. You know, what because, did they get mad at you for? Because I was. You know the the dry the paint wasn't dry in the in the in the hallway or whatever, and they had a class they had to do and it looked bad, and or it was not their way of doing it. It wasn't the classical model, it wasn't Bach and Beethoven. It was you know whatever today's music is, mm-hmm. but you know we weren't attracting any kids that way. The business model was bad, mm. and the kids will tell you tuition dollars speak. And so if they're mm-hmm. not coming, you're not filling butts in the seats. You got to change your plan. Yeah, and again, you got to plan your profit, and this is what works. If kids can make music on the on GarageBand and and, and just buy a computer, why do they need to spend money to go to school to learn how to do it? They mm. don't. But if they come to learn from people who are a lot more experienced than they are, and those people are telling them, "Come and be a part of this community where you can learn, you know, Pro Tools and Logic and Ableton and whatever it is in a class, and then get paid a scholarship to make a record." And then start a publishing company at the school to where they will go out and promote it for you. It's a little record company. Yeah. It's a little management company. It's a little booking agency all there. And so it's real working CDs, albums, and artists. But at a college level where it's an incubator, you can learn. You can fall on your face and learn that way because failure is a great teacher. Yeah. And you can have people to help you lift you up and come back and say, okay, what did we learn? Let's try it again. Yeah. And that is a fabulous and very fulfilling part of my life is mentoring students to do that. How do you walk with Jesus in a way that is utilizing the strengths he's given you? How do you make it cool so that it's just awesome, period? Yeah. Yeah. And how do you get to class for it and how do you get get a scholarship for it? And a lot of artists, honestly, should should the ones that really have the it factor, I don't think belong in school. I think your example is really cool. Like your schooling was real life. Mm-hmm. That is exceptionally valid. But there are school there are students who really need structure. They need some of that. And I think the trick is finding and being okay saying, you know what, I don't think you need to spend money that it would benefit us in our program. I think you need to go make a record. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so we offer that as well. It's a studio you can pay, right. just like a regular studio. You can work with me or whoever it is. Right. Because if I see something, I want to help you do it. Yeah. I think it's as a teacher, it's so fulfilling when you see your student do well. Yeah. Or, you know, fail and be willing to get back up again and do it. Oh, it's so gratifying. Yeah. Well, I think that's really smart and, and, and insightful of you at the same time because where a lot of schools might say, hey, we'll take your money. We You need the degree to for it to work. You're not going to have a career without it. You're saying, hey, you're ready to do this. Just go in the studio yeah. and you'll figure it out. Totally. And I think that's so smart. I've... I've kind of been wanted, wanting to do a survey, and I think I'm probably going to do this and probably going to tick a lot of people off in the process, but <laughs> I've been interested to do a survey to find out, out of people in Nashville who are actively working a successful job in the music business, how many of them have degrees Interesting. in music. Interesting. Or have a degree, period. At all. Ooh, that's a great survey. So I'd be really interested. It'd in be that. interesting. I, just, I, you know, I, I literally have no idea, but I would venture to say... Um, you know, 90% of the people that I know and work with on a daily basis, that's not what got them to where they're at. It's a little bit of talent in the beginning and mostly work ethic and just being good yep. people. Yep. 
I think it's a lot of times our friend James, he'll say it's the scrappy guys who win. You know, it's the law of attrition. He who stays the longest wins. Mm. You just stay at it, man. It's rocky. You get back up, the Russian beats you down, and he got right back up, and the crowd loved him. Mm. You know, he wasn't the most finesse or anything, but it was pretty much all heart that drove, drove him. And I think a lot of people here, and that's what, that's what the interesting story is, isn't it, that people want to hear, is the story of, of struggle and redemption mm. together. And a lot of times that means just get out there and do it. And I remember going and driving to shows, you know, all of us in my grandmother's Mazda 323, drum set and all, and squeezing in, you know, inside the bass drum to fit <laughs> my yeah. brother, you know, yeah. and making no money or paying to play. Yeah. And, and people going, Why? you're not getting paid to play and you're married and you have kids on the way. What are you doing? I'm like, yeah, but it made sense to me and that's all I knew to do. And I hated working at a desk job and I was miserable and my wife liked me more when I was operating and the things God gifted me to do. And that's playing my guitar, singing songs on stage. Yeah. And if I have to pay for it, so be it. I'm happy at night and I sleep better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's phenomenal. So so you're here in Nashville, still still doing Judson, out touring. Um, you know, what is it about music and uh, Citizen Way that keeps you doing it because you've been a band since 2004 that's pretty amazing and a lot of, not a lot of bands and artists stay together for 12 years mm. mm-hmm. what is it that keeps you getting back on the road hopping back in the bus and doing it every single day i think it's for me it's always been that thing inside of me the calling ever since i was a little kid it felt like this is what I not only wanted to do, but I could see it in my head and in my heart. And all throughout my life, I look back and all those little Ebenezers of people saying, this is what you should do. That's a great word, Ebenezer. Yeah. You know, the reminder of what God has done. You know, they would often set up stones in the Old Testament to say, this is what God did here. Remember it. Don't forget it. So that you can move forward and you're on the right path, you know? And people who would say, you know, I've been praying for you since I was a kid and this is exactly where you need to be. My parents for one. Or people, I remember there was a stranger, uh, we were at a conference when I was in high school playing in a band, uh, a summer conference for our church and this lady came up to my mom and I on the street and she said, I don't know why but the Holy Spirit just said to tell you that um, he's pleased with you singing and you, that's what you need to do for the rest of your life. Wow. And, li- and just honor him with it. And my mom cried and I've seen my mom cry maybe three or four times in my wow. life. And, you know, just things like that. And, and I think, honestly, Michael Tate, I think, has it, he put it the best way. I don't know where he got it from, but he told me the other day. Um, he said, it's, um, you're not called because you're talented. You're talented because you're called. Mm. And I think that's my, that's good. That's my thing. If this is the path that God has laid out for me before the foundation of the world, Romans chapter 8. You know, and I knew you before the foundation of the world. And I'm like, my dad would always say, you know, Ben, I'm not a smart man, but I take the Lombardi <laughs> approach to the gospel. You know, Lombardi, Vince Lombardi, the Packers. I, Gentlemen, this is a football. You know, and dad would be like, you know, okay, son, this is God's word. Just do what it says. He's a good leader. Follow the leader. If you don't know what to do, ask him. He loves you. He'll show it to you. It's a very simple approach to life because I think that's what our having the fathers he he can't wait it's almost like he looks for another way to prove to you that you can trust him mm. 
And the best way I knew how to do that was when I was operating in my strengths that he gave me because it felt like home to me. It wasn't foreign. Working at a desk job, it was foreign to me. Yeah. You know, we're suit and tie, and it just, it, it was aching to get out of that. And yet, writing a song and trying to find a way, you know, to to communicate it was natural for me. And learning other instruments, I wanted to be a band director, so music education was my degree. Yeah. Classically trained, you know, trumpet. And now I use that on a lot of our tours, use it on our records. So you're one You're one of the ones that would be in the category of you've got the degree. I and did. I, and are I'm, using it. I'm a bit of... A, a small, a smaller pool in that regard. Yeah, but it's definitely serving you well. Oh, every day. I mean, music theory, ear training, and sight singing. Ear training and sight singing, especially, I think, were the two most important classes for me because those. I mean, your ears are the most important instrument to learn how to use. I think. Yeah. You know, you can get by and fake it till you make it on a lot of instruments, but if you don't have good ears, I mean, you have nothing really. Yeah. That's a hole in the boat that you can never fill. Well, this is the music business, so yes. you've got to have somewhat of a good ear. <laughs> yes. Even if you don't have perfect pitch or can totally. sing harmony. Uh, for a lot of the people out there who are maybe wor- wanting to get into a behind-the-scenes role as a manager or people at labels, you've still got to have a good ear. you got to have a great gotta ear. you got to be able to find the talent. you got to be able to hear a hit song when, you, when it comes yep. across your desk. Um, one question I kind of had... Uh, was the fact of staying together for 12 years, what is it that keeps a band together for that long? Because I, mm-hmm. I know and I've worked with a lot of bands that have just kind of go through members like it's a baseball team or something. <laughs> and what what is it about the way that you do things that has kept you together this whole time? I think individually you have to feel the calling as well. And then you have to collectively agree that this is for now, for this day, for this song, for this record. This is where we're going to go. And I think you have to be honest and evaluate at seasons of life saying, is, do I still want to go this way? Here's our trajectory. You cannot possibly move forward without a destination. And the destination, you know, it, it can be, you know, winning certain awards or number ones or whatever. And I think those are actually good things to don't run away. A lot of times Christians run away from those. Oh, I don't want any of the credit. Well, no, like go after it so that you can use the platform. Yeah. To serve people, to lift up the name of Jesus, and to have a great time doing it. You know, you have to make money. You might as well enjoy doing it. You know, and to do that, you have to beat the guy who's working harder than you, you know, or working smarter, more efficiently, or just surrounding himself with better people. And I think for every band, you have to do that regularly. You have to wake up and say, Today, Lord, is this where you want me to go? Okay, then I can go. Because today, we're, I mean, we're not promised tomorrow. But as a band, I mean, two sets of brothers was helpful. You know, it, it, I think our our former bass player actually put it best. He said it's our greatest weakness, but it, it actually can be our greatest strength. Mm. That family thing, and he, I think he was right. Uh, Josh and I, uh, I like writing songs with my brother because there's a lot of um, uncommunicated um, things that you can that you can just sense right away. And so I think you have to for every band you have to commit to it every day, and you have to be on the same page and communicate like a marriage yeah. you have to communicate and you have to have fun man you have to have lots of fun fun is more fun and so have it you know and yeah. if you're not if it's just drudgery you know then and there are seasons of that where you got to get in a van and you got to drive a hundred thousand miles that year and you have to put it like you did on your credit card and that was your school tuition and yeah. you just have to do it there's a season of life 
where there's zero other ways to learn what you have to learn to get where you want to go. And if you're not willing to do that, that's okay. But don't stay in the bit, like then find something else to do. Find something where you are willing to do that. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. when success will come for you. Friend of mine last week, uh, actually shout out to Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, said in life you either learn, uh, sorry, he said in life you either win or you learn. That's awesome. And if you can learn to look at things that way, that's amazing. You never lose. That's awesome. And I've, I mean, since he said that last week, I've kind of went back over my life and said, oh, I actually have never, never lost. I have a perfect victory or <laughs> perfect, perfect mm. record, you know? So mm. that, that's kind of what I, I took away from, from what you were just saying about those, those 12 years. It's just a lot of learning and, you know, the failures really are just an opportunity to get better and figure out how to get up and do it differently oh, yeah. the next time failure is a great teacher yeah, yeah. so how, how how many shows are you on the road doing every single year i think we're around 100 to 120 wow um there was one year where it was i think we were on the road for 225 days or something like that i think we had 100 and you know 60 shows or whatever yeah because you know you're doing 100 120 but then you that doesn't even count travel, travel. days yeah so you're home one day and then out two. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Days off means still you're traveling, which is work. Yeah. You know, that, that half hour, hour on stage, what, well, what about the other 23 hours a day, you know? Right. And you got family and it gets harder. And I think it's, it's really, you have to want it. Whether you're in Christian music or not, if this is, not something you're willing to fight for. There's no other way. Yeah. There's just, you have to sacrifice. Yeah. And if you're not, it's not worth sacrificing for a number one. It's not worth sacrificing unless it's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's got to be a lifestyle. Otherwise, it's just drudgery. It's toiling, as the Bible says. And I just don't think it's worth doing unless you're going to do it. You know, if you want to play basketball, you know, learn from the greats, play like Michael Jordan. Yeah. At least that's when I grew up. Yeah. Being a Bulls fan <laughs> from Chicago. <laughs> I want to play like Mike. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I, I think, you know, you learn from guys like you. You learn from the guys who have been there, done that. But then you hear their stories and you realize for every victory, there's nine failures or more. Mm. And they were just willing to get back up. Yeah. And what a cool story. Even that in and of itself, all the stuff, you know, songs are like icebergs. You see the top a little bit, but all the stuff underneath the surface of the water, usually 80 to 90% of the iceberg, is fantastically interesting. Well, that's what's amazing to me is when people hear your, your single, When I'm With You, they are never going to know what yeah. you were going through in your life. And that's why I think you're such a brilliant songwriter because you're able to write things that are broad enough that anybody can find their story in, but it's exactly what you needed to say and needed mm. to hear at well, thank the same you. time. Thank you. I yeah. love sharing. I mean, if if it's a journey, you know, that you're on, it's better to share it with people. Mm. Um, our friend James Rieger, he would say, you know, I've seen people in this business do really well and they burn bridges and they step on people to get there and then they get to the top, they have the award in their hand, the speech, and there's nobody standing with them mm. and they're alone. Wow. What an what a really sad, you know, vision, you yeah. know, and yeah. 
you know I, I just I don't I don't think that's worth doing you know I would much rather be a part of a team that celebrates the victories and the struggles and the joys and the sorrows and the failures and the losses together how much sweeter is the victory how much sweeter the redemption uh, and, and and that's the story everybody wants to hear redemption they want to hear the story of the underdog who came from behind and, and you know they get to celebrate with them. And I love that about songs sometimes is because, you know, when I'm with you is that, it's that underdog. It was 10 times through, mm. chipping away, cutting out yeah. whole verse, you know, we did that. Right. I remember I turned it, I was like, what if we cut out the second verse yeah. altogether? And you're like, yeah, that could work. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that less is more thing really is a lot more. Yeah. You know, and for radio, it cuts it into the time or whatever it is, but... um well, you've talked about this James guy a couple of times. For for those people out there, he is the A and R guy for Citizen Way, right? Yep. At Fair Trade Records, maybe speak to young artists out there who don't quite know what the A and R process is and how is it important for you. Man, I think James is the closest person at the label for me. Easily, you know, he's a dear friend, but he is okay telling me that something's not good enough. And I'm okay hearing it. And I'm okay then and, and, and interested because I know he cares about me. He loves me and my family. He wants what's best for the band. Has it always been that way? Or was that kind of, those type it, of things hard to hear in the beginning? I think it was a learned trust. I think it took some a time. But, you know, I was, when we got signed, I was 30 years old. So I'd been, I had been turned down by record labels two or three times by then. You know, so even getting in the door was sure awesome we're here what can we do you know and that song's not good enough but you know when something was he would tell me and i learned to trust him and i learned to see and to adopt the mentality that you know it, this is a team effort you know i cannot stand as an artist as ben calhoun is citizen way without the 50 other people underneath me it would just fall apart. Mm. It just would. And so you learn as a friend, I think, importantly as an A&R person, but also as a business partner. Like There's things where we have to keep our distance, but we also can't wait to celebrate each other. And we can't wait to say, wasn't that awesome? And we worked for it. And the nine times it didn't work, the 10th that did, it was just worth it. And so you start doing that pattern. And after a while, you really find a sweet spot. And this record was one of that. You know, I would yeah. turn a song in, and I know it was good when James would reply right away. Yeah. I knew, because that tells me he's listening, he's interested, he cares, he wants to win. I see the other artists winning. He wants the same for me. It's not a competition as much as it is, hey, we are, we are gonna move this ball down the field. And you have to be, you know, sober judgment about yourself saying that that song wasn't good enough or that verse or, hey, come back. I know if you adopt the mentality of like, if you trust somebody and they tell you it's not good enough, but they want you to win, it's okay. Go back to the drawing board. Give them another shot. You know, mm -hmm. Edison, how many times did he fall before the light bulb? You know, Lincoln, same thing. Yeah. Just be willing to get back up. It's the yeah. law of attrition. He who stays yeah. the longest wins. And A&R for me at our label is the most important that I have a relationship with them. It's because it's all about the songs. Mm -hmm. You live and die in this industry on great songs, yeah. not good songs, great songs. Yeah. And a collection of them on a record, you know, and forget about Spotify and iTunes and radio charts and all that. If it's not a great song, it doesn't just write another song, Yeah, you know, and until everybody agrees on the team who's been doing this a lot longer than I have, 
you know, until they all say that one. Yeah. Keep writing. Yeah. And be okay with that. Yeah. I mean, write with somebody who's better than you mm. and learn their things and champion their stuff. And if somebody wins, clap for them. Yeah. Get, encourage them. You know, yeah. like you might open a door that will get you somewhere that you couldn't have been before simply by championing somebody who won and you yeah. got lost in the shuffle. Yeah. You know, stop saying, oh, woe is me. Mm. Get up there and be a part of the, you know, the yeah. team. Yeah. Well, that's that's really good. And I think where a lot of artists go wrong is they develop this relationship of hostility with their label and their A&R person when in reality their interests are aligned with yours. Absolutely. If you win, they win. If they win, you win. They don't want you to lose. They don't want to screw you. Like a lot of artists have this kind of perception about their label that they're just trying out there trying to screw them. That would not make any sense. It doesn't make any business sense. You are giving, think of it this way. Would you rather have 100% of $10,000 or 10% of $100,000? Sorry, 10% of a million dollars. The pie is even, it's just, it's dumb business to not think of it that Mm -hmm. way. You hire people to work with you and for you that are better than you. That's a good thing. Yeah. You want Michael Jordan on your team. Yeah. Even if you're the sixth man who comes off the bench, you're going to win a championship. Yeah. You know, and he's going to eventually retire and you're going to move into his spot because you've, I mean, that's what Brett Favre did. Sorry, Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre for years. Yeah. And learned. And uh, your A and R, you know, stop thinking of it. I'm giving them so much percentage. Well, if they're not working for it, that's one thing. But if they are, and they have a track record to prove it, think of them as gaining you opportunity right. and money. Don't think of it as just money. Think of it as right. opportunity. Go and make something of it. Yeah. You know, you have people on your team who are every day when you're not thinking about it, working for you. Yeah, that's priceless. Yeah, and anything of value costs something. Totally. And, and it's worth paying value. for it. Yeah, it is worth it. So, to wrap up, I'm I'm hearing common themes of mentorship, making sure that you are aligned with a killer team, and that it's really just kind of the last man standing philosophy. Yeah, for lack of a better term. Yeah, he who stays yeah. the longest wins. It's called yeah. the law of attrition. Yeah. This has been Ben Calhoun on the Full Circle Music Show from the band Citizen Way. Check out their new record on iTunes. It's called 2.0. And uh, where can we find you guys online? Citizenwaymusic.com. All right. Check it out, citizenwaymusic.com. Go buy the new record. Go give them a good rating on iTunes. That always helps. It does. And, uh, yeah, Ben, thanks so much. This has been amazing hearing your story. Man, my pleasure. Love sharing it with you because you're part of a lot of it, dude. Thanks, man. You've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a great rating and review. Again, thank you for those of you who have done this. And for those of you who haven't, please just take the two minutes to head over. It really, really helps us a lot on the iTunes rankings and getting our show out there. We think this is something of value that the world needs to hear. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. So help us just by simply going over and rating and reviewing it. And it will help us in more ways than you know. Show is produced by Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jericho Scroggins. Head over to fullcirclemusic.org and subscribe to our newsletter for free music business tips. And check out the new single from Citizen Way called When I'm With You on iTunes.
Go buy it today. See you next week. Yes.